Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to make disciples who honor God, love people, and impact the world. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at gracecityeugene.com. Here's today's podcast. Last week, we started a sermon series called Tough Choices. And we're not going to break down all of the tough choices that you as a follower of Jesus are going to encounter in your life. That's, let's be honest, that's, that's not really doable. But we are tackling a few significant ones that we deal with in our society, our day and age, and um, our walks following Jesus. So last week, we talked about choosing our purpose over our popularity and the power of that purpose and how it helps us um, push through pain and, and different things. And this week, we're going to talk about the choice of discipline over regret. And it, it may not like, make sense right off the bat, but as we go through this, hopefully uh, that makes sense. And then next week, we're going to talk about important over urgent, choosing what's important over what's urgent. And that particular one has been done a lot in the business world and some self-help leadership development books. But guess what? The Bible also has some things to say about it. So we're going to talk about that um, next week. But for this week, um, you know, in, in any line of work or any profession or anything you want to get better at, there's like hundreds of books for all of them, right, that tell you, here's what you do for this, here's what you don't do, and they, they line it out, and part of planting a church and being a pastor is everybody has books to recommend to you about, here's how you lead people, here's how you serve, here's how you preach, and everybody's got an opinion about how you preach. Well, many of the books tell you this. They say, hey, whenever you start a message, starts with something positive, funny, attention-grabbing, never start with something negative. That's like what they tell you. Never start with negative. Just really draw them in, make them feel all warm and fuzzy. Well, I like breaking rules. So today, we're going to start right out. Here's a truth that we need to grasp as we get into this. You are going to experience pain in your life. You're going to experience pain. There's no way around it. And if you just live your life trying to like circumnavigate the painful moments and the struggles and the trials in your life, A, you'll never grow, and B, you'll never recognize your need and the availability of the Savior, Jesus Christ. You are going to experience pain. And oftentimes, this pain will be out of our control. As I look around a room like this, I see story after story as I look into the faces, and I I recognize that there are stories of pain that has been just put upon us, out of our control, deep pain, real pain, and that's something that is, is expected as we live life and live a life following Jesus. In fact, Jesus said this in John 16, He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Other translations where it says trouble say all, things like tribulations, trials, sorrow, And tribulation is just a fancy way of saying great trouble or suffering. So what Jesus is saying, like, hey, like, this stuff is going to happen. You're going to experience trials, sorrow, pain. Like, this is going to happen. But take heart. But find comfort in this, my sons and daughters. I have overcome the world. Never is there a promise of, hey, say you're following Jesus. Come to church. Give your tithe. Go to small group. and Everything's going to be gravy. Like, I've read the Bible a few times. I haven't found that. I haven't found anything that implies that. In fact, quite the opposite. Anybody that actually commits to following Jesus in a radical, biblical way often experiences the opposite of that because we live in a fallen world that is not yet perfected with the second coming of Christ. It's just 
where we live. And so we can't get blindsided when pain comes our way. Like I said, a lot of times this this stuff isn't our fault. Maybe you get in a freak car accident or something happens, or maybe someone that you love betrays you and hurts you, or maybe your company downsizes, and now at an age where you didn't think you'd have to be doing it, you're looking for a new job. Maybe these kinds of things happen, but pain will happen in your life, and plenty of it will be beyond your control. It's just the reality. So I broke all the rules of preaching right there. <clears throat> However, some of the pain is within our control. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, let me tell you. You will have choices oftentimes between one type of pain and another. Sometimes you have choices between the types of pain. So think about it this way. If you can either maybe you're still in a tight relationship with your parents where they have advice and things to say to you, or you can recall those days where your parents had advice. And you could either deal with the pain of obeying your parents now or you could deal with the pain of the consequences later. You see, there's a choice. Am I dealing with the pain of, gosh, I don't want to listen to that. I hate it when they're right. No, they're not right. I'm going to find things out my own way. Or are you going to deal with the pain of the consequences because you think you know it all and your parents have probably made that mistake many times and they're trying to hand down that wisdom to you. Maybe you can remember taking some classes or going to college or trade school or something like that. There's a pain of studying now. No, but... I want to go hang out with my friends. I want to do this. It's nice out. The sun's shining. We only get that for a few months in this state. I'm not going to study. I'm going to go outside. There's a pain of making a choice to study now. Or, like I experienced a couple times, there's the pain of taking a class again. Okay? <laughs> Which pain are you going to choose? You have some control over that. There's a pain, but am I going to choose the pain of studying and buckling down and having discipline or the pain of not only retaking class but paying for it or putting it on a loan? <clears throat> Amen. Also, there's the pain of saying no to temptations now or the pain of trying to beat addiction later. You see where I'm going? There's choices here. There's different kinds of pain, and we have a say in them. A pain with living within your means now, not getting everything you want, or the pain of being restricted by debt in credit cards later. You have choices. So where some things are out of our control, there are things that are within our control, and we have a choice to choose the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Am I going to be disciplined and make that choice now, or am I going to have regrets? Like, God, I shouldn't have bought that. I knew I shouldn't have, but man, I just wanted it so bad, and now I'm in debt, and I can't be generous and do the things I want because Visa and MasterCard own me, like whatever it is. We have a choice oftentimes between discipline, pain of discipline and pain of regret. If you're taking notes, we're going to go ahead and establish a common definition for this word discipline, because there's many definitions of that, right? You can have a different def definition for discipline if you're talking like in a parenting book, if you're talking about church community in the Bible, if you're talking about your workplace, if you're talking about athletic team, like discipline can mean different things. And there are plenty of definitions out there, but for today, this is the one that I chose, so it's going to be the one we're going to work with. Discipline. It's choosing between what you want now and what you want most. I'll say it again. Discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. <clears throat> in order to set this up, I want to take a look at some of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. You can be turning there if you want to read along. But 
Just a side note, they'll also be up behind me. The words will be. So um, some people like to read along as I read Romans chapter 7. And I got to be honest, when I read this, like, because you guys probably can relate to me. Sometimes you read through the Bible and the things we're supposed to do and say and live, and then you evaluate your own life and you're like, oh, I suck. Right? Anybody? Or is that just me? And you're just like, oh my gosh, how, how I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm weak. What am I doing going up there and putting a microphone on and teaching on a Sunday when I couldn't even do that, right? And aside from the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, we can't. That's not the point right now. When I read Paul saying this right here, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Like, this guy gets me, right? Like, he, he understands the plight. And it, it, he kind of sounds crazy as he's saying this, but in a weird way, um, it's kind of comforting to know that people that actually encountered Jesus deal with some of these same feelings as we do. Maybe you're new to church, maybe you're unfamiliar with Paul, or maybe you're just exploring Christianity, and so this, this character is new to you. Well, the Apostle Paul, I want to give you just a little context. This is the guy who met the risen Christ. Christ was already dead and rose again, and, he, and Paul encountered him, and he experiences this glorified Christ, and he's healed of blindness. Um, Paul wrote almost a third of the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So if anybody is going to have like a spiritual edge, an advantage, or like, you know, the, the cheat sheet to how to live out this life, in my opinion, like, Paul should be the dude. Like, he should get it. He should have an edge in living this life as in the way that Jesus calls us to. But he confesses here that this is a struggle for him. We're going to start in verse 15. And I swear, he almost sounds crazy when he's saying this. So listen up. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Has anybody ever felt that before? What is wrong with me? I know that's not right, but I can't. Stop it. I can't, I can't in my own power control that. Now, in today's day and age, what that conversation may look like is, I know I shouldn't have went to that website, but I did it anyway. I can't believe I did it. I don't want to, but I did it anyway. I know I shouldn't have done that, taken that, looked at that person like that, said that, lusted over this person, but I did it Anyway, I know that's not who I am. I want better for my life, but I did it anyway. That might be what it, how it resonates in your head. I know I don't have the resources for that, but I can't control my wanter, as my kid's kindergarten teacher tells him. I can't control my wanter. I just wanted it, so I bought it anyway. I know I can't afford to start that hobby, go on that vacation, buy that car, do that thing, but I couldn't help it, and I did it anyway, and now I'm enslaved to debt and Visa, and MasterCard, what is wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And then Paul goes on to say in verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. Wow, that's okay. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, exclamation point. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he goes through this lament. He's like, what is wrong with me? I'm broken. Why can't I just do what my heart knows I need to do? What a miserable person I am. Who's going to free me from sin and death? And then out of that, it's almost like this aha moment. Praise God! 
Jesus Christ will free me from that. Amen? And that, that statement is not just for Paul. That statement is for each one of you in here that profess to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ. Like, who will save me from this world of sin and death, from this intertorment of knowing that, like, I need to do this, but I can't, and I keep making this decision. I'm a miserable person. Who's going to save me? And that's when we get to proclaim, thank God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, does. Amen? Thank God for Jesus. What Paul's saying here is, I want to do the right thing, but I can't. I'm often ashamed that I don't get it right. I feel down on myself. I feel embarrassed. This is resonating with some of you right now. You would think that by now I could get this right. I've been doing this church thing for a decade. What is my problem? Why can't I get it right? Who can help me? And out of that, recognizing and confessing the reality of his brokenness, he has the realization that only Jesus Christ can help him and save him in that moment. And as twisted as it may sound, I pray to God that every person that I care about experiences that aha moment, that the reality of our own brokenness and need for a Lord and Savior brings us to a place that says, thank God, how miserable am I on my own, but how great is it that I have a Lord and Savior who wants to come alongside of me, lift me up out of that place, and invite me into his mission to redeem his sons and daughters on this planet, amen? That good news is for each and every one of you. This is the key to our whole message today, that on our own, we are prone over time to make wrong choices. It's just our reality. We're not Jesus. He was the only perfect person that walked this earth. But with the power and help of Christ, he can enable us to choose not what we want now, but what we really want most. It's that discipline definition. Help us choose not what we want now, but what we want most. With the help of Jesus, we will choose discipline over regret. Before we go forward, I just want to pray for us real quick and then we'll, we'll continue. Jesus, thank you for this word. God, thank you for the conviction and truth that your Holy Spirit is bringing in this place. Father God, I pray that <clears throat> anywhere that there's resistance or confusion or just fogginess around this, that, that your Holy Spirit would remove that right now in Jesus' name that you would be cultivating hearts to receive the seed of this truth and good news that you want to establish and plant in us so that we could live out of a place of knowing who you are and how you empower us to live for what we want most, what you want most. So, Dad, would these words be yours and not mine? Would you have your way in this place this morning? In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So I want to let Paul take us on, on a little journey here. I like Paul. He's got some things to say about this, and I think it's fun to watch his growth as he learned to tap into the power of Christ um, and, and live a more disciplined life. So remember, this is the guy that says, I can't get it right. I just can't. What a miserable person I am. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, see how he progresses here. He's making this statement in verse 24, chapter 9, 1 Corinthians. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. They do it for a prize that will fade away, but we 
those in the family of Jesus that identifies as sons and daughters, we do it for an eternal, eternal prize. Now, he uses this imagery or metaphor of, of a race, and I love the way he says it. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? Everyone runs, but only one person wins. But what Paul says here is, so run to win. Don't just run to get a participation trophy. Run to win, for goodness sakes. Run to win. And then he goes on, and you can see in this contagious imagery he uses here. He says, all athletes are what? All athletes are disciplined in their training. If you're going to run to win, what do you have to do? You have to choose what you want most over you want what you want now. If you're going to choose, now this is just, I learned this from observation, okay? I'm not a marathoner. When Lindsay trains to run a marathon, once a year I have to use this example. When Lindsay trains to run a marathon, she gets sleep. She chooses to put off social things like anything that would hinder her from what she wants most, to run, to eat well, to rest, to take care of her body, to buy really expensive shoes that only last like two weeks because she's running 700 miles a week or whatever it is. Like she has to put off everything else that does not contribute to what she wants most. She has to make those choices, be disciplined. She has to be disciplined in her training to be in top shape, not eat pizza, not drink a bunch of beer, because that's just Lindsay. No, I'm just joking. She has to make good choices to accomplish what she wants most. She has to choose what she wants most over what she wants now. And that's kind of this imagery that Paul give, Paul's giving here. So in their context, maybe it was the Olympiad or some other like uh, international games that they, that they would have. But we're not winning to, or running to win some earthly prize. We're not running for a medal or a trophy or, or some earthly recognition. We are running to win a prize that will never spoil, that will never perish and will never fade. The prize that we are running the race to win is eternal. It's life with our creator for eternity. What a better prize. I mean, the medals are pretty cool. I haven't gotten one, but I've seen them. Um, but an eternal prize and when we keep our eyes fixed on that and what we want most, it helps us make those decisions along the way. <clears throat> so you may be asking, Pastor Chris, what does this look like, for instance, in the context of like becoming closer to God and walking this out in church family? Maybe you're not asking this, but now you are because I planted that seed. What does this look like in church or in spiritual family? Well, first of all, it means engaging in spiritual family, right? So what this looks like to be disciplined and choose what we want most over what we want now. You come to church every week. You come with a prayerful expectation, excited that God is going to meet you in that place. Not just limping in, oh, I'm going to come because I don't want to hear from pastor that he misses me, so I better go. Like I'm going to go because I believe that God's going to meet me in that place and he's going to do something. And if I'm in your shoes, I'm, I'm going to get there early because when I go to game and it's general admission seats, I get there early because I want good seats. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get in the front. I'm going to believe that God's going to do something in me and he's going to do something through me in that time. I'm not coming to just be a spectator. I'm coming to be a conduit for God's power in his people. Amen. I'm not just showing up hoping, gosh, I hope I receive a nugget. I hope Pastor Chris just gives me one good statement this week. You know, last week I fell asleep. But this week I'm hoping for one good sentence. We're coming expectant that God's going to show up and he's going to use every part of this service to reach you and empower you to do what he's called you to do. You're going to come expecting to hear from God. 
bringing your sacrifice of praise and worship, even when you don't feel like it, even if you didn't see him doing something you wanted him to do in the last week, because you know he is good and you're going to worship him because of who he is. You're running the race to win. You're not just showing up to get a participation trophy. Running the race to win. I'm coming to the house of God with an expectation, knowing he's going to speak to me. He's going to work through me. He's going to encourage me in the places where I'm feeling low and empty. And his Holy Spirit's going to fill me up and empower me and send me out to other people. That's what it looks like to run to win. Run to win. Don't just follow Jesus at a like recreational level. Follow him wanting to run to win the race and see what he might do in and through you in that. When following Jesus becomes a priority and not a menu item, he can use you as a conduit to impact this world. And that's why we do this. We don't do this because like Pastor Chris doesn't have any friends and he just wants to get people to come in and listen to him so he feels good about himself the rest of the week. Like we do this because we believe God has called us to make a difference in our world and as we receive from him and impart what we are compelled to share about the transformation he's done in our lives, things change. Things shift in this world, and we all get to be a part of that. Run to win. Don't just run to get a, a certificate that you participated. Run to win. <clears throat> Something else that the preaching books tell me, going back to the beginning. Something else that the preaching books tell me about when you preach a message, there, there should always be a so what. Not like a so what, like a so what. What now, like an application point. An application point. Because we're not just communicating knowledge here, right? Like when we're communicating biblical principles in this stuff, this isn't just about giving you knowledge. We're communicating knowledge that transforms and that we can live out by the power of God. So we want an application point with this information. So first of all, ask yourself this question. And I want you to, I want you to choose an answer to this. What do you want most? And if you have a bulletin insert, you have an app on your phone, whatever it is, I want you to write it down somewhere. What do you want most? Honestly answer that question. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. What do you want most? Write it down. Be honest with yourself. Pick something good. Like, be real here. Not like, oh, I want to have enough time to finish watching this Netflix thing I'm watching. Like, no, something deep. Like, what do you want most in your life? What do you want most? <coughs> write it down. Some of you recognize it's time to take this following Jesus thing seriously. Maybe you want to get closer to God. Some of us in this room, maybe it's like, we want to get in better shape. We want to make some decisions to take care of ourselves in a better way. Something like that. Some of you, maybe it's like, all right, game on. I'm getting out of debt. Student loans, credit cards, like, we're getting this taken care of. That's going to be a thing of the past. For some of us, maybe I'm sick of settling in my marriage. I'm sick of settling. I want deeper intimacy. I want deeper connection. I want a deeper like teamwork and parenting. Maybe you're just sick of settling in that. Maybe that's the thing that you want most. Write it down. And then the second application point is this. And you can write this down as well. What do you need to choose now to achieve what you want most? What do you need to choose now to achieve what you want most? Not just think here in this moment, like, oh yeah, this is what I want, and then never write it down, never share it with anybody, and never take any steps to actually reach it. But what does it look like to choose now what will help you achieve what you want most? You say, I really want to be close to God. I, I just want to deepen my relationship with him. 
Well, a good place to start is let's get a Bible reading plan. Let's get into the Word because we're students of God's Word. That's how He communicates with us or one of the ways He does. And we do that together in community. We're people that worship God in His house every week. That church is not an option but a priority. Those are ways that can help you do that. We seek Him first. We're prayerful. We're serving. We're involved in community. We do life with other people, potlucks, small groups, whatever it is that we're We're in community with God's people. What do you need to choose now to do or achieve what you want to do? Maybe it's your marriage. So maybe we need to get some date nights. Maybe we need to do some counseling. Maybe we need to get in some community. Maybe you want to be freed from addiction, whatever that may be. Maybe it's a substance or something relational or something on the internet. You got to start by admitting it asking for help, maybe receiving some counseling. There's no shame in counseling. Let me say that again from the front, from the pulpit of a church. There's no shame in counseling. Get help if you need it. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you need a support group. Maybe you need like some other resources within that addiction. Go for it. Let this be the time. Take steps to achieve what you want most now. Maybe you want to get out of debt. That's what you want most. Step one, stop spending so much money. Stop spending money. Take a financial peace class. Budget. Pete's great with spreadsheets. He'll help you with it. Like, you have, that's when you're in community. There's resources. There's people around you to help you walk through these things. But take steps now to achieve what you want most. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27, Paul's continuing this imagery of the race. And he says, so I run with purpose in every step. With purpose in every step. I love this. He says, I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not just like boxing the air. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. Like many people, I'm, I'm by nature incredibly undisciplined. Like confession, incredibly undisciplined. You can ask my wife. I have to focus like hard to, to try to have purpose in my steps. In other words, I have to say in every moment, Jesus, I need you right now. I need you to help me to have purpose in my steps, to have some structure, to have some commitment in certain areas. I need your help. I need your power in this moment. What we need to understand is there will never be a moment that we don't need Jesus to live life this way. There will never be one you don't need him. Because when you think like, oh, I got all this figured out, well, then you need him to deal with your pride. (laughs) There will never be a moment that you don't need Jesus. We need him all the time. Without that, we're like Paul, a few verses back. Why am I so miserable? How, why can't I do what I know my heart knows? I need it. Like, we need him. We need him. I need him to be what I cannot be for myself. I need him to be what I can't be for myself. And because I am incredibly undisciplined by nature, I have accountability in my life. I have people that ask me tough questions in my life. I have people that will challenge me when I need to be challenged. I have people that help me implement structure in my life because I need that to help me have purpose in my steps as I run the race. You need people around you to do this. Let me explain it like this. And Pete, you can come back up. <clears throat> I was listening to this Christ-centered psychologist and she gave an image that was super helpful. And I just want to share that with you as we close. And I'm going to do my best to explain it, but I'm not a psychologist. So I'm just telling you what she said. She said, imagine you're walking out of your front door and what you want is a beautiful yard. You look out at your front and you're like, 
I just want a beautiful yard. I want it to be lush. I want it to be all perfectly green, no weeds. I'm going to spend like hundreds of dollars to water it through the summer. Uh, amen. And you just, you want a beautiful yard. That's what you want. But to get down to the street, what you have to do is you actually have to walk off your porch. You have to walk down this sidewalk, down the driveway, and then to the side just to get to the street. Like it's, it's a longer route to get out to the street where your car is parked that you go to every day. Avoiding the yard before you walk all the way down to the sidewalk, that if, you, if you say it. Now, you want a beautiful yard, but there's a little bit of a longer path to get there if you go around it. If you go around it. And what she said is the problem is when you come out of your house. Sometimes you say, I want a beautiful yard, but the shortest distance between me and my destination is through the yard. It's through the front yard. So you think to yourself, well, this is an easier path. It won't matter if I travel through it this one time. So it's a shortcut, right? I, I, I want to just get there quicker. I'm in, a, I'm in a hurry. So you travel that path that one time. And guess what? It's not that big of a deal. It's only once. You walk it one time, didn't really hurt anything. So the next day you come out and you think, I probably shouldn't do that again because I want a nice yard. But I did it yesterday and it was kind of fun. It was kind of fun being a rebel in my own house. Why is that? Because when you travel a path you're not supposed to, your brain releases a little chemical called dopamine. It releases this chemical. And I'm not supposed to do this. This is fun. It's like this little legal high when you, when you rebel. Your brain does this. And so you kind of like it. You're doing something forbidden, so your brain gets a little, a little crazy. Now, this is fun and easy, then once, and then you do it several times. You say, well, I've been doing it all this time and nothing really happened. I still see grass there, so you keep taking the short cut. And your brain has created what we would call a new neural pathway. It's just like, no, this is what I do. It's fine. I get a little, you know, a little injection of dopamine through this. And this is now simply what you do when you walk out of your house now. You just walk across the yard. And once you do that long enough, you create a trail across the yard. And what you want, most wanted was to have this beautiful yard. And now because of these shortcuts and making these concessions day after day, now you've ruined what you want most. Because... You gave in to what you want now. You wanted this beautiful yard, and now you can't have it because you chose what you wanted now over what you wanted most. As disciples of Jesus, we have got to be disciplined. We instead are going to choose what we want most over what we want now. What we do is when we walk out, we stop and say, oh, that's right, I want a nice yard. I'm going to take seven extra steps and go around it to preserve what I want most and make a choice in this moment to contribute to that. We have purpose in every step. We're training our bodies, our minds to be disciplined. And it may be a little more difficult along the way, but we choose what we want most over what we want now. There's purpose in every step. And this can play out in our finances where I want to buy this thing. And the shortest distance between me and getting my boat is debt. But then we realize that I do not want to be enslaved to debt. I don't want that to take away from my potential to be generous, to save and, and do things along the way. I don't want to be oppressed by this short-term decision I made. So we choose, no, I'm not going to take what I want now for what I want most. And I'm going to save and I'm going to be able to live a generous life. And I'm going to contribute to the advancement of God's kingdom and be able to give my kids special experiences along the way because we don't choose the now over what we want most. It's important to realize this. 
when you choose now to achieve or experience something that you want most, it's not just... The discipline helps us avoid the regret of later. When we choose discipline now, then we don't have to deal with the regret of throwing away what we wanted most. And I know for me, I do not want to be the parent who lives regretting, like, I wish I would have just spent more time with my kids. I wish I would have not traveled so much or worked so much so that I could know my kids more or been there for these special events. Like, I don't want to live having those regrets. So you could say in that example, what I want most is for my kids to know me, to know they're loved, to experience a father that's at home and cares for them. And I have to make decisions in the way in which I work, in which I travel, and in the way in which I recreate that will contribute towards that in the long run. Amen? And all of us may have different things. It may be a different area. It may be something that I haven't even mentioned today. But if we don't recognize it, write it down, confess it, and have purpose in every step, you're going to live a life with regret presence. And that's not what Jesus came to institute for us. He came to bring us freedom, to set the captives free from the things of this world, the consequences of sin and death, and see us flourish in this world. There's comfort in the fact that I, that we, will never not need Jesus. We will never not need him. With Christ's help, we as a people can choose discipline over regret. Remember that first question you wrote down. What do you want most? If you don't do something about it, that may become your biggest regret. So as a people, let us refuse to be short-sighted. Let us refuse to be plagued by regrets. And let us run to win the eternal prize. Run to win with purpose in every step. With Christ's help, choose the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace, for your goodness. That even if maybe we've been walking through the yard for too long, even though we wanted it to remain a beautiful yard, that your grace can cover that, that you can bring dead grass back to life, just like you can bring our dreams and our spirits back to life through your power, God. So I pray right now that as some of us may be beating ourselves up, like, gosh, well, I already screwed that one up. God, would you revive those things in our lives in the name of Jesus? Would you bring power and life back in areas that we didn't think could be reclaimed because you are good, you are God, and you are all powerful. So, Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that even when we're sitting there thinking, ah, why can't I do this? What is wrong with me? I'm such a miserable person that we can proclaim, thank God for the love of Jesus Christ covers this. Would we recognize that not just as good news for others, but as amazing news for us as your sons and your daughters. So we thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.